Hey, Pastor, if you've been meaning to get healthy by achieving better physical fitness and losing some weight, but you just haven't been able to crack the code, check out my story at coachingforpastors.org. This is episode 342 of the 200 Churches podcast. Listen, at the end of the day, the hurts of your past are simply what's holding you back from a greater tomorrow because now you've put more trust in what you've seen in the past versus what is unseen that God can do in the future. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast. We're passionate about providing ministry encouragement to pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who are definitely better together. Friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Cady. I'm here in the opulent and luxurious 200 Churches Podcast Sound Studio, looking at the shining silver, the staircase, the chandeliers, the lush carpet, and the overstuffed furniture. It is fantastic. Unfortunately, my partner Johnny is not here with me. Alas, and again, our schedules conflict. Today, we've got a great guest. Josh Gagnon is with us today. He is the founding and lead pastor of Next Level Church in the New England area regularly recognized as one of the fastest growing churches in America. They've got like eight or nine or 10 locations. I've lost track in New Hampshire. I think there's one in Massachusetts, one in Florida. And Josh has been leading the church now for about 13 years. He's known for his uniquely authentic communication style that makes the hope found in Jesus relevant to people of every background. He and his wife, Jennifer, raised her two sons in New Hampshire, where the majority of their multi-site church exists. Had a great conversation with Josh. Could have only been made better by Johnny being on it, but Josh and I held our own. We're going to hear that. But first of all, I just want to say hi to Sam Thomas. Sam, you actually put a review on Apple iTunes, and you started it by saying this, what happened to the 200 Churches podcast? You've been checking every week in January 2020 for his second favorite podcast. Uh, Sam, second favorite, Sam? Sam, I'm not surprised that you didn't leave your phone number on that iTunes review. Well, actually, I'm surprised you actually put your name on there. This is wonderful. Usually you have these 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 obtuse handles that people put on there. Sam, <clears throat> you've got to send me an email, man. I want to talk to you. Jeff at 200churches.com. I dare you, Sam. I dare you. Send me an email. I want to talk to you. It'd be, even, it'd be great if you could be a guest on our podcast. But, but first, I'd have to audition you to make sure you had, you know, the wits about you to do it. But you said, you said in January 2020, you're looking around for our podcast. You identified us as your second favorite podcast. You wrote, Jeff and Johnny, you guys are right up there with Carrie N. Thank you for not spelling his name. The reason, Sam, that you wrote Carrie N is that nobody on the planet knows how to spell Newhoff. In fact, you spelled the guy's first name wrong. You spelled Carrie without an E. So the truth is nobody, Carrie, I'm so sorry, nobody knows how to spell your first or your last name. Here's how you spell his last name. This is how I remember it. N-I-E-U-H-O-F. W-H-O-F. N-I-E-U-H-O-F. That's Newhoff. But you said, I give you a 10 out of 10, you said to us in this review. Then you said, we missionaries who work with the small churches need your coaching in more, <laughs> need your coaching in more than weight loss. 
awesome because we don't do much with weight loss, although I've been sprinkling episodes in over the past year as I have gotten healthier. But Sam, Thomas, I love it. Thank you so much for saying you're out there looking for us. You notice then in February, we've come back. We've come back like like a, a bad penny every single week in February, and uh, this t- this week, no exception. Great guests, Josh Gagnon. We're going to get right to it, and I will be waiting for your email, Sam Thomas, Jeff at 200churches.com. Here's my conversation with Pastor Josh. Josh Gagnon, 200 Churches Podcast, take two. Josh, so good to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Are you tired of the book tour podcast interview yet? Uh, it's exciting. It's, it's definitely tiring, but I just remind myself continuously that uh, it's a blessing and an honor. So no, I wouldn't say I'm tired. I'm, I'm energized. Well, well, here's the thing. You're on the 200 Churches podcast. Now, you, you Josh, have arrived. I made it. I made it. I've been, you, I've been waiting for this moment to... This is the big this time. Is it. Every time, every, every time everybody told me I was just chasing towards something, and once I got there, it wouldn't mean anything. They were wrong. This means everything. So you, <laughs> you, you likely haven't been a listener, and I, I understand, but we often talk about being in the opulent and luxurious 200 Churches podcast sound studio, <laughs> which is wherever we happen to be with my Zoom H6. Where are you now? Uh, I'm in my downstairs. I've got a room that is kind of an office room that I use. So when we first started, we had a dedicated spot, you know, we had it decorated. We had 200 churches posters up and it was, you know, it was fun. Yeah. And then the, then the equipment got smaller, yeah. right? Because you realized, oh, I don't need this big mixing board and this big amp and all this just stuff. Use my phone. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So now the studio is wherever you are, okay, you but Hey, you you have just come out with a book, and I think it's it's a short title. Is it? Is it? It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. It's not over. Leaving behind so disappointment. This is, your, this is your first book. Yes. Yes. Yep. So now we've we've arrived. We've got the complete <laughs> works of Josh Gagnon right yeah. here, it, it, and it's not over. It's, it's not, not hopefully over. not over. We're not sure about that yet. <laughs> I don't think so. Leaving disappointment behind. So I listened to one of the episodes you've already recorded, Josh. And as I was listening to it, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I can't wait to talk to this guy. This is this is really good stuff. And the message of your book is a message that I think will resonate with so many people. So, uh, f- but first, here's what you got to do. Tell us about you. Tell us about your family. Your uh, a wife and any kids, and just a little bit about that. Yeah, I have a beautiful bride, which I nobody's ever probably said an ugly bride, but I I, I do think my wife. <laughs> I have a beautiful bride. Uh, you just lost. yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. Over. Yeah, Jennifer is her name. She's uh, she's wonderful. She truly is uh, the best and closest follower of Jesus I've ever met. She she makes me look horrible. And then uh, two sons, Malachi and Nehemiah, real Christian names. So hopefully, hopefully nice. that'll work out. I pastor a church called Next Level Church. We started in 2008, pretty much on accident, and that's uh, the true story. Never read a church planting book in my lifetime. Didn't go to Bible school the traditional way. Never planned on being in ministry. Was running a soundboard at a church, and someone asked me to lead a small group, and it turned into somehow it turned into a church. And so, I'd never been to a church larger than 200 people growing up in um, New England, the least church region of our country. And so. 
That's a little bit about our story. Started it in 2008. God's been faithful. We've seen great things, a lot of resistance, a lot of pain. It always looks better on paper than it does in the process. And so, mm, yeah. and so uh, that, that's a little bit about me. How old are those two boys? Malachi is 12. Nehemiah is 11. They love golf. And so we are doing the junior right. PGA now, and we're traveling all over for golf. And so if I'm not uh, preaching or preparing or leading staff, I'm typically golfing with my kids. They love golf. And are they are they golfers too? So so they they're watching golf, but then they're playing golf too. Oh right? yeah, no, they play in all the tournaments and. Uh, oh okay, okay. Yeah, so they're pretty uh, pretty passionate about golf. Good little golfers, actually. They're uh, you know for twelve and eleven, they'd surprise you. And you go out on the links with yeah, them. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm an avid golfer, so we go out together, you know, and we swing the clubs and and try to get better. See, the thing is, what you guys are doing when you're out together. You're not really playing golf. You're spending time together <laughs> exactly. around golf. Exactly. Yeah. When right. they look back someday, it's it's dad time. And so, yeah. You know, yeah. This afternoon, when we finish this, uh, about four or five o'clock, I'll take them out and we'll go to a driving range and hit some balls. And every time we get in the truck, they say thanks, Dad. You know, they had a great time, and so it's a blessing. Well, I have three boys. I have a daughter, and then three sons. They're all all of them are grown up now, and. I do not regret one hour I ever spent mm. with them. I was that first generation, I think, that realized that the previous generation pretty much often sacrificed their you know, families on the altar of ministry. And I really worked hard to not do that, and I don't regret a single hour I spent with them. So mm. that's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, Josh, I listened to your story, and you were thinking about writing a book and you ran into some, well, you use the word resistance, right? The resistance. <laughs> Talk about that just for a minute. Talk about when the book first came to your mind and particularly how you got that title. Well, as next level churches grow and people are reaching out, right? And, and an agent had reached out to me and said, hey, listen, you know, next level church is growing. And and they heard our story being in the least church region of America and said, hey, listen, you know, with the growth you've seen, I'm an agent. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And I, I laughed. I said, absolutely. I've thought about writing a book. You know, all I do is create content. And half the time, you know, I think it's great content, you know, or good content. I stand up and I preach it and only 30% of our church ever hears it. And I, I can't use it again probably for uh, quite a while or they'll think it's just yeah. a repeat. And so one of the tough parts about what we do is we're teaching and making and creating content all the time for only 30% of the years to ever hear it. And so uh, Why only 30%, Josh? Well, because on a good weekend, we have about 30% of our attendance. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Yeah, on a, I just wanted our pastors to hear on that. On a good weekend, on a good weekend. I mean, some, you know, especially, you know, in different seasons, it can be even worse than that. So it's, I was talking to our staff yesterday saying, it seems like it's continuing to go the other direction. I feel like we're getting healthier. We're building better on-ramps. Our groups are healthier. On and on I could go. Our hearts are probably healthier. We're doing it with better motives, but it doesn't seem to change the cultural trend where people just go to church less and less and less. And so wow. I thought to myself, hey, listen, we'll, we'll, you know, I have a passion to, to write a book and, and put some content out there that my kids can can look at and, and next level and other people can read. And so I said, sure, I've thought about it. I'd love to. He said, okay, we'll, we'll put together a book proposal. We'll go get it. I said, are you sure? He said, absolutely. And uh, we put it out to every major publisher that there is, even mid-majors. And everybody came back and said, absolutely not. Uh, New England's the least church region, and we don't we have the least amount of Christian sale book sales in that region, and so signing an author uh, in that region is too risky. And so everybody said no, and 
you know, I got in the shower and I started crying, you know, just like a baby asking God, why would you bring this agent to me? Make me feel as if this is an open door. I didn't search this door out. God, you, you placed me here. You given me this passion and you brought this agent to me. And here I am crying my eyes out in the shower. I didn't even tell my wife, Jennifer, for, I want to say at least a week, it probably was two weeks. And, and finally she kept asking and I would just kind of brush it off. Oh yeah, 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 I'm not sure. You know, just kind of brush it off. And finally I told her, honey, every lead drew it up. Nobody wants to, to, to give me a book deal. And I didn't want to face that rejection and that failure feeling. And about a year later, uh, another agent reached out to me, a, a large agent and said, Hey, listen, have you thought about writing a book? And I didn't get back to his email for about a year, I never got back to it because I didn't want to open up that opportunity to fail again. I didn't want to, hand, I yeah. didn't want to handle that rejection again. And um, finally, I got back to him. We put together a book deal, and by God's grace, uh, we received um, you know six or seven offers for this book from all the major publishers. And and I often say this: I, I say that that, and I know this is cliche, right? It's it's like you have to say this as a preacher, but I really do mean it. And and, and sometimes you have to go through these valleys in order to mean it. You know, if I had written this book three years ago, it would have been a skeleton of what it is today. And because mm, I yes. because I went through that season, because God matured me in that season, um, the book today is 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 a much stronger book. And, and, and the book today has more pain within its pages. And I, I think that people can always relate to pain. And so uh, for me, I've learned that, you know, I'm always wanting God to do more through me, through me, through me, through me. My lens is always God use me and do more through me. And I think I'm learning that God can actually actually cares more about what he does in me than what he will ever do through me. His priority is what he does in me, even though I wish his priority is what he would do through me. And so I learned that in this process. That's not just a tweetable thought right there. That's a thought to push pause on and just think about for a minute, you know, because you're right. As pastors, we always, we want to bless others. Yeah. And, and God wants to know what's going on inside of us. That That's that's good. I think it's in our DNA, right? That's that calling. I mean, God, God yeah. calls us, and it's not because we're people that don't care for others, and it's not because we don't care about other people's spiritual. You know, even if it's it always starts pure, sometimes it gets a little bit dirty in the midst of it, and you're chasing platforms, and you're chasing relationships and popular people. But we all started in that space, whether we were leading in a student's group or just leading a a sound at a soundboard or you name it we all started with this moment of purity where we just wanted others to know about Jesus and and it's it's almost like that DNA was given to us like God gave us this calling and now we have to mature it because if you're not careful your entire identity becomes wrapped up in what he does through you and you forget that he was a God who wanted to work in you as a father and so for me that's been a, a learning process and I do feel like this book to God be the glory he's going to use this book um, in greater ways because I allowed him to do a lot in me and uh, I think he'll do more through me. And is it the same book you were thinking of the two years previous? The same like mm, it, subject matter? No, it's a little bit different. It's similar. When I talk about you know this book is is based on um, dreams. The word dreams is 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 in its title. The word dreams is is in its pages. But the problem with the word dreams, and and I knew this going all along with the publisher. Um, and I kept explaining it to them, but they wanted to stick with it, which I'm happy with. But the word dream, man, it, it comes with this idea that you have to move to a, to a foreign land and, 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 and hunger there in order to have a, a dream, a big dream. Hmm. And for me, that's, that's just not what the word dream means. And in the pages of this book, that's not what we talk about. We talk about, although that's a good dream to have, and we do talk about dreams that are big and outside of us. Uh, my heartbeat for this book um, is about the dreams also that are within us. 
you know, I have a dream to overcome insecurity someday and I'm, I don't know if I'll ever manage it, but um, that's a dream of mine. And others have a dream to continue praying big prayers, even though many of their prayers seem to hit the ceiling. We talk about that in the book. Many people have a dream to overcome an addiction. I mean, I could go through the list of things, right? The reality is, 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 is yeah. we all have dreams in our hearts. So someone who's, you know, 70 years old and thinking, well, I, what am I going to do? I, I don't want to start another business. It's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe you just have a dream for your grandkids to walk with Jesus. And this book deals with that. Hmm. And so I think all of the listeners, they, they have a dream in their heart that God's placed there, whether it's an external dream, doing something for him or an internal dream, something they're dealing with. And so this book is a, is part of um, what it used to be, but certainly over the last three years, I've I've grown and God's opened up more opportunities for me to see different things. Well, as you've talked about the message of this book, I, I got the idea of you know how they say that when we're kids, our dreams know no boundaries, our imaginations are endless, and as we get older, it all shrinks and it all gets curtailed. And and really, I think what you're saying through this book is to is to take the lid off again and just allow yourself to dream like you dreamt when you were a little kid. Yeah, of the possibilities because really, it wasn't so much the the limitless potential in us so much as we believed that that there was a limitless potential as we lived our lives in God. Mm. And so as we get older, it's almost like we're not we're not dreaming less about ourselves. It's almost like we're we're allowing God to get smaller in our imagination too. Mm, that's that's beautifully said. I, I couldn't couldn't agree more. You should have wrote a book called "It's Not Over." <laughs> well, it's it's I I'm gonna my book is gonna come out actually in two months. It's called "It's Still Not Over." <laughs> well, let, let me write the Ford at least, would you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. I think that that you said it just 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 brilliantly. As far as even my heartbeat for this, I look at my kids. Right, they think they can still be. Like Superman and Batman, they're jumping off stairs. And yeah. <laughs> you're absolutely right. You know, all of our all of our leaders that are listening, man, even myself, I mean, I'll speak to myself right now and just start there. I mm. mean, when I started mm-hmm. Next Level Church, I believed God would do more than I do believe he'll do now. If I'm just keeping 100, mm. my prayers have shrunk, everything has shrunk. And here's the thing, as a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, or for myself, when I was chasing after my NBA dream, you know, I played some college basketball. I'm only 5'9 at best, so I didn't really have a future there. But but those dreams that we had were, were so pure and reachable at one point in our life. But it's, yeah. it's those disappointments of the past, right? It's, it's that Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It's, it's, it's looking back at ministry time and time again and having that hope that's been deferred and our heart becomes sick. And I'm convinced a sick heart starts believing for smaller things. A sick heart starts living in the past disappointment of expectations that weren't met rather than believing that God can still do what we haven't yet seen him do. And it's just like this carnal thing where my prayers for next level mm. have shrunk. My hope for next level shrinks at times. Now I can tell you what a location is going to launch with. I can tell you what that mm. location is going to do on week two, right? It's going to drop 50%. Like, and I, I always combat that in my soul. Cause I'm like, man, I have, there was something pure when I started Next Level. I had never read a church planting book. I did not know we were starting a church in America's graveyard for churches. I had no clue. <laughs> and man, there was so much purity in there where statistics weren't mm. my God, right? And so yeah. I couldn't agree more, Jeff. This book deals with that thought that it's like, listen, listen, at the end of the day, the hurts of your past are simply what's holding you back from a greater tomorrow because now you've put more trust in what you've seen in the past versus what is unseen that God can do in the future. 
So right now we're at we're at a crossroads, and I know the direction we're going to go. But the two two ways we could go is I want to talk about multi site churches, and and I want to talk about you know what you're doing in ministry. But the other side of it is I know who we're talking to: small church pastors, pastors. Period. And we need to talk about this the dream stuff because I mean that's where that's that has to do with our faith too, right? Do, if we believe. Do, do we believe God? Yeah. Do we or don't we? And so I think we need to go in that direction, and maybe later on or another day we can talk about the multi-site thing. But where did you get the idea for this book to actually talk about this topic? Because it touches all of us, and as you just said, you could be pretty successful in your church planning efforts, and yet still your dreams shrink. Why do our dreams shrink, and and why did you decide to write a book about that? Yeah, I was sitting with uh, a friend of mine in prison, believe it or not. I wasn't in prison. He was in prison, and he had just gotten there. I was the first visitor he ever had. He was a Mm. pastor friend uh, for many, many years, 10 years, and uh, he made a a horrible mistake. But that doesn't mean I don't love him, right? I'm thankful that God loves me. Right, yeah. So, you know, I would say it was a little bit maybe even controversial for me to even be there, but I made sure that I actually— continue to stay true to, to what I believe the gospel says versus what others want me to do. And so I went and visited him. I was his first visitor and he walked out and at the end of our visit, you can hug for three seconds. There's a three second rule. And I gave him a, a tight three, hmm. tight three second hold. And I looked him in the eyes like I did so many, so many times over 10 years. And I said, Hey, listen to me. And I said, it's not over. And he looked back at me and his exact words were, I'm not sure I believe that. And he walked off. And while I was driving home, you know, I felt like the spirit of God, not to be like, you know, strange, you know, I don't use that all the time, but I really do feel like the spirit of God was just speaking to my heart. And just, I had tears coming down my cheeks and I was looking at people pumping their gas and mowing their lawns and going for jogs. And there was something that I felt like the spirit of God was showing me, you know, your friend thinks it's over, but and he's inside these four walls of a prison. But what about all these people going through their everyday life that aren't inside the four walls of a prison, but they're shattered yesterday has impacted them and has, has wounded their hopes for the future. And I started thinking about ministry leaders, and that's why this book, yeah. you know, for me is so is so valuable. I think for ministry leaders, I started thinking about all those pastors who started with this massive dream, right? Like we're going to start this church in this community or this location, or I'm going to take over this church, and God's going to use me. It might not have happened here before, but He's going to use me. And you know, they have they're the only one on staff. They're not even paid themselves at times. And they've got this huge dream. Mm, And you know, that first weekend comes, right? And you're like, all right, here it comes. And then the second weekend and then the fifth weekend and in the first year, you're still believing, right? You're still believing. And then you're two and you're four and you're 10. And then you're like, man, I hope that just anything changes tomorrow. And then you start showing Mm. up and not even expecting change. And this book was born out of, out of that moment in a prison where I recognize it's not just prisoners living inside the gates. It's, it's, it's all of us who are struggling to believe that tomorrow can be greater. And it's not this, just these pipe dreams I'm talking about. Um, right. You know, it's this real reality. Um, let me just keep rambling for a second more. As, as sure, I, thought, I sure. thought about this, um, Mary and Martha in Scripture, um, when Lazarus is um, sick, uh, Mary and Martha have all the hope that Jesus is going to come heal Lazarus, right? They're, they're friends with him. And when Jesus mm-hmm. doesn't show up the timing in the way they expected, 
immediately that hope deferred made their heart sick and they started living in depression and discouragement and in pain understandably so i'm not dogging on them understandably so yeah and i think that's where a lot of us are in ministry at times is jesus hasn't showed up like we thought he would and then one of the cool parts of that story um, not to jump ahead in our conversation but um, jesus shows up and he tells mary and martha to move the stone and what i love about that is just that imagery and just the facts right jesus jesus could have moved the stone he's jesus christ Right. But he asked them to move the stone. Why? Because he wanted their muscle to work alongside their miracle. He wanted to see them continuing to act in ways of faith, moving the stone. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus comes out. And then he says, unwrap him from the grave clothes. And for me, that's always caught me because if I were Jesus, I'm just walking off. But he he says, unwrap him from the grave clothes, which tells me it wasn't enough for Lazarus to breathe. Jesus wanted him to shed the appearance of death. And while I was driving home that day, the reality is, is a lot of people are dressing themselves in grave clothes and a lot of pastors, a lot of ministry leaders were doing that, right? We believe in Jesus and we're going to heaven, right? We, we've received the salvation of Jesus Christ. We preached an amazing message of hope. We believe all of it. What's happening though is we're wrapping ourselves in death of the disappointment of the past. We're wrapping ourselves in last Easter and what happened there and on and on I could go. Mm. And I feel like the message that God would want us to have is unwrap yourself from the grave clothes. Don't start putting on the clothing of past expectations and brokenness, but continue living, not just breathing, continue living as if I can do the impossible. So how do you adjust your dream that's been shattered simply by the lack of the fact, the fact that it's not been enacted over time how do you adjust it so that it reflects more of reality, yet it's not diminished in its faith or its 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 view of opportunity, mm. right? Mm. So you're gonna have to adjust your dream a mm-hmm. little bit, but but how can we have a new dream that's even bigger than the last dream without being unrealistic? Yeah, and I agree with that. I don't think we want to walk around just being completely crazy, right? I I think there's wisdom wrapped up inside of this idea of dreaming. For me. I think there's a thing called expectations, right? That come along with dreams. And then there's a thing called surrendered expectations. I don't think we get in trouble for the expectations. I just think we get in trouble when our, our, our expectations aren't surrendered. What I mean by that is as we continue to dream, the goal is to surrender our expectations to God. I can believe for the impossible, but I have to be willing to say, God, I've completely surrendered my expectations to your will, to your cause, and for your glory. The expectations meaning how we expect God to fulfill the dream. Yeah, as how we expect God to show up, like Mary Martha, how, how we expect it to happen. So here at Next Level Church, right, we've got 10 locations, and my goal was 20 locations by 2020, right? I said it many, many times. And 20 locations by 2020, that gave us a 10 or a little over 11-year period. And that's what I said from day one. Right. And here we are. We're 2020. Right. And uh, we have 10. We don't have 20. Okay. Oh, man, Josh. And so. Wow. Okay, let's wrap it up right now then. Oh, (laughs) no. Yeah. And so for me, like I was feeling the pressure of that, though, like at year seven, I'm like, man, I put this vision out there. We're going to come up like 50 percent short. Right. Hmm. And it was when I realized, hey, listen, I have to surrender my expectations to God. I wasn't wrong for expecting God to do the impossible. I was just wrong for not inviting him into it. And so I think when we stand up as visionaries within the church from far too many of us have faced disappointment in the past. So it's hard for us to communicate hope for the future. 
we're, we're afraid we're going to put out a number for a building campaign and see it come up short. We're afraid we're going to put out a number for some, for some vision on Easter. It's going to come up short again. On and on I could go. Our, our, our ministry leaders understand what I'm saying. It's not wrong to cast big vision. It's just wrong to not surrender the expectation of that to God. So I'm expecting this to happen, but I've fully surrendered it to God. And that's where I've had to sit back and say, you know, that's where I'm at. For instance, even with this book. I was jogging the other day and I'm feeling under pressure. I'm feeling super insecure. I'm feeling all these feelings of failure and wonder. And I said, God, would you just give me a word? Would you just literally speak to me? You haven't spoken to me. It feels like forever as far as like just a clear word from you. And I felt like God whispered in my heart a word I never would have thought on my own, which was the word rest. And I'm like, rest? Like, I would have thought, like, I'm type A, right? I would have thought, like, keep fighting. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, on and on, rest. Half our pastors are saying, I think of that word every day. <laughs> <laughs> I think of rest in, 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 in what it ended up coming to me as I just uh, continued to, to pray and seek God was not the rest of the Sabbath, but the rest that we find in Matthew where Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy yeah. burdened, and I'll give you rest. And when I looked up that word rest, it's, it's a word of peace. It's a word of, of fully turning over control to God. It's not a word for a nap. It's not a word for a day, day off. It's a word for resting spiritually. And resting spiritually enables you to rest better physically. And so for me, that's this idea of surrendered expectations where I can dream big dreams. Like for this book, I have big dreams. And sometimes those dreams become too heavy for me to carry. God's teaching me to rest, surrender that expectation, dream big. But in the end of the day, surrender the expectation of that dream to God and trust him in the midst of that journey. It's not always easy, but I think it's necessary. So I heard you talk about prayers and I wanted to ask you, what is the connection between our dreams our, our expectations and our faith in what God can do and our prayers. Talk about that for yeah, me. Yeah, while I was writing this book, I went out with um, <clears throat> Daniel and Catherine, who uh, Daniel was our first ever hire at Next Level Church. I laughed because we couldn't pay him for two years. When we started Next Level, we had nobody. You know, <laughs> the first year we had maybe 80 people, and uh, we were just fighting. I wasn't full-time in ministry. So the only time I got paid over $100, I'm sorry, let me back up. The only time I got paid $100 in a week was when Next Level Church's giving was over $1,000 for that weekend. And so mm. that's how this started. I'd get 100 bucks if Next Level's giving was over $1,000. And you know, nine ninety. I was really frustrated, and uh, <laughs> and so Daniel came on staff for for two years. He raised his own support. Our first hire couldn't afford to pay anybody, and so they ended up getting um, pregnant. Catherine got pregnant, and um, their son Josiah was born. And Daniel called me, and he said, "Hey, Pastor, Josiah has been born, but it's not good. It's worse than we expected." What he meant by that was they had already been told that Josiah did not have uh, one of his kidneys, and that his other kidney was failing while she was pregnant. And when Catherine gave birth, Josiah mm. was born with all sorts of medical complications. And he had you know, 30 surgeries in his first year of his life. He spent more nights in the hospital than he did at home. It was a, a really, a real big battle. Um, and mm. so we were sitting anyways, 10, uh, 10 years later, as I'm writing this book, this story is in the book, but as I was writing, it wasn't in the book. Um, this story happened while I was talking mm. to Catherine. So I put it in the book. Um, I asked Catherine 10 years later while we were to dinner, Jennifer and I were at dinner with them. I said, what's been the hardest part of the last 10 years? And her eyes watered up and she, she looks at me and she says, praying. And I thought, praying? Like, you know, I didn't see that coming. And I said, okay, do you mind explaining that? And tears are coming down her face. And, and she says, pastor, and she says, just like this. She says, I mean, we all start crying after she says this, of course. She says, hmm. when, when I was pregnant, 
when my baby was inside of my belly, I would lay hands on my stomach and I would pray. And I, I have always prayed big prayers. Like that's my thing, like my gifting. And she was going on and on. She's like, I would pray over my baby. And I was convinced that God would heal my baby. And then when Josiah was born, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for years. I've prayed. And she says, and now I just so miss the feeling that I used to have, the hope I used to have. I mm. miss praying like I used to pray. You know, she's crying at the table. And of course, I did my best to encourage her. But what do you say? You know, you just, yeah. I just, you yeah. know, just loved on her. And Jennifer and I got in the car. And that's, that's, that's when I put this in the book. I said, I said to, to Jennifer, I said, listen, that's it. That's it. Our prayer life and our dream life, they aren't two separate things. They're not two separate things. They're, they're one and the same. Like, we don't have a problem praying. Most of us just have a problem dreaming. Like we don't have a problem praying. We just have have forgotten that our God can still do the impossible. So if you're fighting an addiction, right, and you're fighting it and you're failing at it, failing at it, failing at it, 10 years later, you're still opening up your computer and looking at things you shouldn't look at. It's hard to sit there and pray with boldness for God to help you overcome the dream of being free to that addiction. And so I told Jennifer, I said, that's where it, that's where it's at. Like if you planted a church and started a church and, and here you are today and it's, you know, 22 people or 112 people and, and you're like, man, I really believe this would be bigger. And here you are at year three, year five, year 10. Man, it's not a prayer problem. It's it's a dream problem. We stop praying big, bold prayers when we settle into believing that our God isn't going to do the impossible that we once believed he would do. And I've seen it in my life. I don't know if you've seen it in your life, Jeff, but I've seen it in my life where I would pray for God to do a certain thing at next level, right? And then now all of a sudden I've scaled down my prayers to the size of what I've seen in the past versus ask, yeah. asking God to overcome what I've seen in the past. This begs the question, how do we gin up a, a new dream? How do we gin up a God-sized dream? And if we haven't had one for 10 years, that's reduced our prayer life and we've kind of let everything let everything settle to the lowest level, how, you know, how, how do we gin up a new dream? Yeah, we have to look at some things in our life that will show us what it is we should be dreaming for. For instance, in, in the book, I talk about how when we look at the life of Nehemiah, we see some, some characteristics of a dream that's worth chasing. And I think, I think the first question to ask when it comes to what should I be dreaming for is what breaks my heart? What breaks my heart? Where do I see a need? That breaks my heart. Mm. For me, okay. the reason I started Next Level Church was because I was a college athlete, had no Christian friends, went to church with my mom. Uh, the church, and I'm not putting charismatic churches down at all right now. Uh, matter of fact, many would consider me someone leaning that way. So certainly I don't want anybody to hear this incorrectly. For me in that time, every time I'd bring a friend who was an unchurched to church, something extreme would happen. <laughs> and they'd be like, what the <laughs> heck is going on here? Right. And so it was always those moments. And so I thought to myself, man, I'm never going to be able to reach my friends because they never want to come to church with me. I bring them once mm. and they're afraid to come back. So what broke my heart, right? What broke my heart was the need I saw in our area for a church to reach people who had never been to church. Now that's a popular thing now. And it probably was 11 years ago. I just didn't see it in our region. And so that was the need that broke my heart for others, you know, listening, it could be a personal need, 
right? That breaks that, that they recognize is, is breaking their heart. When you look at Nehemiah, it wasn't until his brother comes and says, "Hey, listen, the walls are torn down." Nehemiah wept, right? He cried; his heart was broken. And so, I think a characteristic of a God-sized dream is we start praying, "God, break my heart for something." break my heart for something because the only reason I'm still at next level, I want to quit all the time. The only reason I'm at next level church is because God broke my heart for it. And and I feel like leaving next level church would hurt me worse than staying. And that's why I stay, but it's because it's Hmm. my heart is broken for it. And so I would say praying and asking God or just examining your heart. Like if you're in ministry right now, do you still feel broken over the need? When you look at that idea of Nehemiah, is your heart still broken for that city? If it's not, maybe start praying that God would break your heart again and that you haven't become. So this is, I I was thinking about this earlier, Josh, that, you know, what comes first, the the dream or the prayer, right? And if you don't have a dream, can you, can you pray yourself into one? Because what you just described was a, to use an old term, a passionless pulpit, Hmm. right? Where the, where the, the preacher has lost the fire and has lost the passion and so that's not where his passion or her passion is. They're not praying about it. And that's not where their passion is. So how do they get a passion? You know, you know what I'm yeah, saying? I think God can give you back that passion. I think God can give you back that passion. But if I could say this. Do they pray, do they pray for it? Yeah, they could pray. For, uh, I would pray for that. I would pray for that passion. <laughs> but more than anything, I would ask myself, why did I once have it? And if I've become calloused. Um, to the people, or if I've become callous to that city or callous to that dream, then maybe it's time to let that dream die. Because you know, the reality is, is dreams can die. I think we become, I think we become pretty ignorant if we sit around and think that some dreams don't die. I think the one thing about that, though, is, and this isn't just preacher talk. I truly believe this in my heart. If I wasn't a preacher, I do believe that if a dream dies, that we serve a God who can give us another dream equally um, worthy of being chased. You know, what's that need? You know, the moment I get to the place, Jeff, where I don't feel broken over a next level church, where I could walk away from this and not feel burdened by walking away, I'm walking away. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I I didn't start this for a paycheck and I won't stay here for a paycheck. The moment that I feel like I can walk away from this and it would, it it would be, it wouldn't bother me. I, I would walk away personally. So that's what I mean as far as asking God to get us to that place where we're still chasing. Cause you're never going to pray big, bold prayers over something you're not desperately broken over. Interesting. Very interesting. So there are a lot of pastors that are listening that I think are having a gut check right now. And you, you admitted it oh, earlier, yeah. saying saying that, you know, you don't have as big of dreams today. And in, in other words, you're aware, you're aware, and you note the fact that your dreams are not as big. And so when you have that realization, what do you do about it, Josh? So I've had to deal with that while writing this book. Right. I've had to deal with it. We've launched locations since I launched this book. And when we're launching a location, I'm looking at that city and I'm wanting to say to myself, well, we'll probably have three or 400 in attendance the first weekend, or you just put a number there, whatever. And I've had to tell myself, why are you submitting to that number? Why don't you just pray for God to do the impossible? Now, what that comes with is it comes with a large opportunity for disappointment and discouragement, right? But if we're not Mm -hmm. willing to live out there and trust God to do the impossible, we're never going to experience the impossible. That's that's what I believe. That's what I believe in my soul. And so when Peter gets out and walks on water, he's walking on water. His eyes are on Jesus. He gets a bad rap for sinking. But I mean, come on, man. He walks on water. It's when he looked at the winds and waves, he began to sink. And I think the story there, among others, but a primary story there is, is when our eyes aren't on Jesus 
and they're on the winds and the waves, we begin to sink and we begin to drift from the things of Jesus. And so for me, when I put my eyes on the winds and waves, the statistics, the past failures, what we don't have, what I wished we had, what every other church in the area has versus just keep my eyes on Jesus, know what he's called me to do, keep my eyes on Jesus, keep my eyes on the dream he's placed in me, even when I can't see it, even when I can't see it. There's a there's a God who's doing more in me right now than he's doing through me. Now, I don't think you lose with that mindset. I don't think it's just pie in the sky, right? I don't think you lose with the mindset of saying, I'm going to treat, I'm going to be faithful in spite of what I'm seeing for fruitfulness. I'm going to be faithful until God releases me. And so, yeah, I couldn't agree more that I've, I've at times shrunk my dream, but I've never gotten to a place where I didn't believe the dream. I've just submitted to the past experiences of that dream, but I've never gotten to the place where I didn't believe the God-sized dream inside of me. We went through the unstuck process with Tony Morgan, and we came up with this five-year vision and mission and vision for our church. And our church has been around for 70 years. And for the last 15 years, it's been little drip by drip getting less and less people attending. And some of it's that they attend less, and so the numbers reflect that, and it makes it look like there's less when there's not actually less people. But some of it is that the, the, the family has been getting a little bit smaller over the last 15 years. So our dream was to reach 250 new families in the next five years. And that seemed like a ridiculous dream to us because in the last 15, we haven't added net, you know, uh, in terms of netting, we haven't added any. Uh, even though new people have come, others have left. And so we said we want to see 250 new families. That was essentially a family a week uh, be, coming to Jesus and becoming part of the church and having our churches as their spiritual nerve center. And I told people, you know what? If in five years we only have 87 new families, we're going to be pretty happy with those 87 new families. Mm-hmm. And Every one of those 87 new families is going to be really thrilled that they're a part of a church community where they can thrive. So I think about you, 20 new churches by 2020, and you only got 10. But but if you hadn't gone for 20, how many would you have today? Mm, yeah, we'd have very you know? yeah, a lot less. So I think, I think 2030, I think you know what your goal is for 2030? Tell me. 30 more. <laughs> Deal. 30 more. Deal. 30 more in the next 10 years. But but isn't that the way growth happens though, right? It starts out slow yeah. and then it picks up because you learn and you grow and things yeah. get better and you get more people and 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 you know what? If you only get if you only get uh 10 more or 15 more or 20 more if or if you get 50 more, right? Yeah. One of the dangerous things about being a leader is you have to make sure that you're hemorrhaging what you're asking others to bleed. And and so, you know, if we've got dreamless leaders that are only bleeding small visions and small hopes, then we're going to have volunteers and leaders in a church that's doing less than bleeding. They just, they're, they're not even bleeding any type of vision and hope. And so I think the risky part about being a leader is we've been entrusted with the dream and we've been entrusted to keep that dream out in front of people. And the reality is like Moses, even keeping that dream out in front of people when it's not easy. And, mm, and the truth, yeah. the truth is, is, is we have to hemorrhage it. And it's the stewardship of the leadership. It's the stewardship of the leadership we've been given, right? God has given us a leadership platform to steward. And it's bad leadership, in my opinion, to only bleed a great future and to allow the dream to die in front of people. And so, you know, I commend Mm -hmm. you for standing up and saying, hey, I'm going to hemorrhage this dream. I'm going to hemorrhage what I believe God's called us to reach. And like you said, 
Um, if you're hemorrhaging it, others are bleeding it, and you're going to get a lot further than you ever could if you were just bleeding it and others weren't even noticing or hearing it. Yeah. So in the first year, uh, we've only got like 12, right? That's not going to cut it. That's only going to get... Well, I'm saying this is the first, the first year was 2019. Yeah. And so we've only got like 12 families in 2019. So that's, that's, that's going to make 60, right? But I'm expecting those 12 to help us. And I'm expecting as we more and more pray into this vision, we're praying over it. We're, we're sharing it. We're talking about it. We're working toward it. We're measuring toward it. That, you know, that, that curve is going to get a little bit steeper yeah. as we get closer to that five years. And of course we can adjust it. Yeah. And let me, up. let me, uh, let me go into, to one of my favorite parts of the book, just as you're talking about that, I think about this, my boys love Lego sets. And this is one of my favorite parts of this book and something that mm. speaks to exactly what you're talking about right now. And it'll speak to every leader. When we go to into a Lego store, they, they wanted me to buy them this big roller coaster. It was 4,124 pieces. And I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, you can't, you're not like, come on, man. You're not going to put that together. Like, dad, trust me. They brought me around to all the others they've already done. We did this one and we did this one. I was like, all right. So I bought them this 4,124 <laughs> piece Lego set. Now, when you look at the outside of a Lego box, it's like the dream, right? That God places in our heart. It's similar, right? It's, it looks complete. It feels precise. You can almost touch it. You can almost see it. So when God calls you to that ministry, right, to take over that church, to take over that kid's ministry, to you name it, you name it. When God calls you there, puts you there, plants you there for that assignment, you can see in your heart this dream that he's given you. It's like the outside of a Lego box. It's all put together. You can see it, feel it, touch it. You know it's there. Well, when my kids get that Lego set home, right, they open it up and they dump all the 4,000 pieces all over the table <laughs> and they're scattered everywhere. Listen, those pieces did not look like they resembled the, the roller coaster that we had bought on the outside of the Lego yeah. box. But I didn't put the pieces back, bring it back to the Lego store and say, you guys lied to me, right? I didn't put that. I didn't do that. I didn't say you lied to me. I want to return it. Doesn't Some it? assembly required. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think when God gives us a dream in our heart, we often want to give him, give it back to him, exchange it in heaven for a smaller one with less pieces. But what you're doing is you're being faithful with the pieces that God's given you. He's given you a dream in your heart to reach so many families. He's given you a dream in your heart to reach that area. You're putting it out before the people. And what you're basically saying is we're not responsible for the fruit, but we are responsible for taking each piece piece by piece and being faithful with it, being obedient with it, being disciplined with it, living with integrity under it. And sometimes we mess up as leaders, right? We go the wrong direction. We make a couple bad hires, whatever it might be. And then we got to take the Lego box and take it apart a little. And then we got to rebuild it. But one of the things that I keep in front of me is that God has not given me a dream that I can accomplish in the daytime. And I'm so excited for that. I'm so thankful that the dream he's placed in my heart is going to take me a lifetime to see. Now, my responsibility in order to see it or to at least see it to the best of my ability, right, is to be faithful with all 4,124 pieces. So this year, I would say you were faithful with the piece pieces you were building and 12 families came. It's not the entire picture, but as you keep building, you'll keep seeing more of the dream in your heart. Yeah, that's good. Let me redirect us just for these last few minutes. You're the boss. Be- because, <laughs> because I, again, I'm, I'm always thinking about the listeners. I'm always thinking about pastors. We look at what another pastor does, and we get envious, and we get jealous. Some of us, at our worst, will get bitter and resentful. And we say, why can't we do that? And we don't look at what we've actually done and how God prepared us to do what we've done. And and you've talked about how God prepared you particularly to do 
what you do. And you also talked about the first time you got up the nerve and the courage to share the dream of becoming a pastor with whoever was then your pastor mm-hmm. and how he said, uh, he said, no, I, I, I think, I think you should stay in drywall. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was, that was funny. And so I wanted to ask you, what did drywall teach you that you use in ministry? You got great questions. How how can I get you to lead every interview I do around here? You just, you just tee that ball up so nice for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this isn't my first rodeo, pal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, well, I, hey, I listened to your stuff, and I read some of your stuff, and it is really good. It's very good. I'm excited about this book for you. Thank you. The The drywall industry taught me a lot. So my dad owns a drywall company, and so at like 12 years old, I'm going and I'm hanging drywall, which has- Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. I mean, my back, I can barely- I go for runs right now, and people stop me in the middle of the road and ask if I need an ambulance. I look so, <laughs> and so I'm I'm all jacked up because I've been doing drywall for so long. But anyways, at 16 years old, I'm running my dad's drywall crews. Like I'm running the show. I'm during the summer when I'm not in school. I'm the foreman over all these guys. And uh, at 18 years old, I have my own crews. And uh, when I got out of college, I came home and I ran his company, started my own drywall company, and I'm leading guys that are way older than I am. And I used to hate it. When Now, when I say hate it, and this is going to sound crazy, this is going to sound crazy. I used to think about how I could cut down the telephone poles to get the power to die at the house before I had to go to work the <laughs> next, day, next day. Okay, <laughs> I hated doing drywall. I couldn't stand it. But I stayed faithful. I kept doing it because I needed to eat as I get older. And um, and then God calls me to ministry to start a church, which is a totally different, you know, talk about a different direction. And so Jennifer and I, we, we sold our home or pretty much gave it up and then uh, our cars, everything and, and uh, started off the next level. And so um, but to answer your question, uh, doing drywall was such a priceless position for me to be in that I never realized I was leading people way older than me, which taught me you can't just walk into a room of guys hanging drywall and tell them what to do at 16 years old. Hmm. But what you can do is you can ask questions that lead them to finding the answers. So I'd go in and I'd say, Hey, do you guys think I'd see something that wasn't right? And I'd say, do you think we should do it this way? What about this? Have you thought about this? What do you think? And, and I, I learned how to communicate in a way that wouldn't cause them to be defensive, but would allow them to feel a part of a part of the solution. And so as a young leader starting a church at 27, 26 years old, whatever I was, all of a sudden now I've learned how to talk to people who are older than me and gain their trust. And so I've seen all these little things, you know, here I am like David right out in the, in the field, right? Just being prepared by God in a field to someday defeat Goliath in the battlefield and And for me, looking back, I tell the team all the time, I'm always telling the team, I can't believe that God, God put me in the drywall business. It was so, so divine. Like I design all of our buildings right now. So we have nine permanent facilities. I've designed every one of them and I walk through with the contractor and I'm the one in there designing it, moving walls, putting walls where they belong. We don't have to pay anybody to do that. I do it. And I smile every time because I wouldn't have been able to do that had I not been prepared. And so here's what I often say, and you've probably heard it before, but I'll, I'll take credit for it if you haven't. Uh, God's often, <laughs> God's always preparing us for what he's already prepared for us. And hmm. I rest in that. So do you lead worship, Josh? <laughs> you don't lead worship? You don't want me, you don't want me uh, leading worship, but uh, you know, I do, I do wish I could. <laughs> 
What a loser, man. Um, my my best pastors, man, they can lead worship too. Hey, I, you work with kids? I, I don't work with the kids. No, I actually... Oh, my goodness. I try not to do too much right now. I, I, uh, I try to leave it to those that are better than me. So the lesson here is, Pastor, you're listening and you're, you know... We all, you know, you hear somebody on a, somebody on a podcast, and you think, you know, they oh, they've got it all together. They're a guest on a podcast. They've written a book. They've got a multi-site church. Blah 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 blah. And all I've heard you talk about, Josh, is you just want to grow up someday and not be so insecure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's your dream. That your great. dream is to be to become secure. So I'm wondering, Pastor, what's what's your drywall? Right? What's the drywall that, that God puts you through to prepare you to do the things in your church that you are uniquely gifted for and uniquely designed for? And then let, let the other people do the other stuff. Because, Josh, you and I, I wish I would have had that kind of an upbringing. Because, I mean, I know, what, I know the difference between a flathead and what's the other one called? The one with the cross on it? A flathead. A flathead screwdriver. Oh, the Phillips. Flathead and the Phillips. Phillips. <laughs> I know the difference, but that's about where it ends. Like, <laughs> I'm not handy. I never saw a tool in my father's hand, mm, ever. Wow. Like, never. So, I mean, we're all just, we're all prepared in different but ways, I bet there's ways for that different you things. you were prepared in those seasons to be where you are today. Oh, my dad, who never had a tool, he gave me uh, the personality, the relational nature that I have, and just a lot of things that I use. In fact, I, I blame my dad a lot for a, a lot of the things that I have today. I say blame. I should say credit. Mm. I do blame my dad for the things I don't like, but I should, I credit him a lot with and and he my dad was a beer drinking, uh, blue collar union steward furniture mover. So a frustrated pastor. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> never. He never went to church. I mean. My, if anybody would have known that that Bill Cady's son was going to be a pastor, they they would have laughed uh, <laughs> till the sun went down because Dad was at the local bar, mm. you know, just about every night, and and yet he gave me gifts that I use now in ministry that he would chuckle about Amen. and and honestly be happy for. So, Josh, give us a parting shot. Give these small church pastors a parting shot of encouragement. Because some of them, their dreams, their dreams have been shattered. Yeah, I would encourage you know all the leaders listening to just stay faithful to putting together the puzzle that God's put in their heart, and and stop comparing the Lego set in your heart to everybody else's heart, and and stop comparing the Lego set in front of you that you're building to what everybody else is building. You know, social media it's such a blessing; it's a great tool. It's also, man, it's it's also risky. It's very very dangerous, and. How sad is it to think that so many of the leaders listening today are doing exactly what God has called them to do. They are being faithful in what God has called them to do. They are using their gifts for the glory of God. They are obedient in their assignment, and they still feel horrible because they're comparing themselves to everybody else's highlight reel. And my heart breaks for that. And I do it too. I just want everybody to know I do it too. I do it all the time. I fight not to do that. And so I would just tell yeah, everybody. we do fight. Yeah, I would tell everybody listening. Hey, listen, just stay faithful to what God call, has called you to. Continue to ask him to build a dream in your heart. Never give up praying for big, bold prayers because you serve a God who can do the impossible. What takes us a lifetime to do takes God a moment to do. So stay faithful and don't compare your story to everybody else's story. You just be faithful to what God has called you to. And at the end of the day, lay your head on the pillow and be proud of that. 
Josh, you're an overnight success. (laughs) And it only took you, what, 12 years. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for speaking to our pastors. And thanks for your humility. As you were talking earlier, I thought of Rick Warren's discussions on the, the ministry of influence and affluence. And you, 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 have a, you have a microphone right now through this book and through opportunities to speak to larger groups. And I just want to encourage you, your, your humility and just being real is so powerful and very much appreciated. And it gives us all hope. So keep that up. And if you work hard enough, you could be the humblest person on the planet <laughs> and be very proud of it. <laughs> Thanks for having me on here, Jeff. It's an absolute honor, bud. Thank you, Josh. Well, there you go. The conversation with Josh Gagnon. Hey, I had a great time talking to Josh. We had a little pre and a little post recording conversation. Not much, just a little bit. He's busy. He's doing a lot of podcast episodes promoting this new book. What, what a fine young man Josh is. What, a, what an awesome leader, natural talent there, made only better by his dad's tutelage. And so, Josh Gagnon, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. His book, It's Not Over, Leaving Behind Disappointment and Learning to Dream Again. What an awesome title. It's Not Over, Leaving Behind Disappointment and Learning to Dream Again. I did order it the day that I recorded with him. I'd listened that morning to another podcast that he had appeared on and was so taken by his message that in the middle of that podcast, I got up from the table I was sitting at, walked over to my desk, and I ordered the book. They said they would deliver it February 25th, the day that the book came out. It would show up at my house, so I'm looking forward to getting that book. It's got a bright red cover, the same color as the 200 Churches podcast logo. I want to encourage you, get on Amazon, order that book. What I mean, what is stopping you? Order the book. It's not over. Leave and leave behind disappointment and learn to dream again. What a great message. And that is a message that every pastor should receive, embrace, and live out. If, if pastors, if we can't leave behind our disappointments, and if we can't learn to dream again, who in the world can? I ask you, who, who in the world can? If we can't, what a great book. You can find it, like I said, on Amazon or wherever, and they will deliver it right to your door. Josh, again, thank you for being on here. And thank you for joining us. We've got several episodes recorded ahead. We've got fantastic guests coming up, and I'm really excited. I'm really excited to share them with you as we march through the year 2020 full steam ahead. And we'll see you next week right here on the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Angela, and I want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, you should subscribe at 200churches.com and to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You know it. We'll be back with another amazing and encouraging episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love His church. Thanks, Josh. I'll let you get on to your next thing. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, Jeff. Anything you need, ever want to connect, reach right out. I'm here. 
Thanks for buying right. the book, man. I got one sale this week. <laughs> Come on, That's babe. Right. Come on. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And uh, and we'll we'll talk about it. I'll put it on the post. And see, we love promoting other people's stuff. Like we don't sell anything. Like I've never made a dime off the podcast yeah. actually. But we love promoting other people's stuff, so that's that's fun, yeah. fun to do. Appreciate it. Okay. Awesome. You're good at this. I've done a lot of these, and yeah, you do well. Very well.